You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast, your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tim. Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And this episode is actually coming out on July 4th, 2018. So happy Independence Day to anybody who is celebrating, I guess, in the U.S. I'd like to think of um, of Independence Day sort of as like uh, birthday eve for me. <laughs> yeah. Or I guess as the as the day that that my mother unfortunately had to cut out early and go to the hospital. I'm putting that together that it's your birthday on July 5th. And I didn't know that. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to mark that one in my brain now. And, and actually, I've got sort of like an untapped birthday coming up here on July 6th. Oh, wow. Which is going to be my two year anniversary of actually working at Untapped. So it's a, it's a time to celebrate for you. You got three whole days. Yeah, it's uh, America's birthday, my birthday and Untapped's uh, birthday of having me, I guess. Yay. That's the best of all. <laughs> <laughs> Being that it is Independence Day and a holiday in which much drinking does occur, you should definitely be sure to check in and unlock this year's Independence Day badge. It will be available between July 3rd and July 5th. So you got a little bit of time in there while you're celebrating in case you are out and about and can't get your check in on the 4th. You've got a little bit of extra time. Mm -hmm. Barbecues, hot dogs, baseball. Yum, yum, yum. And beer, of course. Yes, that's the necessity, right? All right, so let's get into uh, what we're drinking today. I feel like we've got a theme here. This is one of the uh, only other episodes that we've done uh, remotely with you and I. And the last time that we did this, we had an offshoot beer. Yes. We did uh, Relax last time. Yes, we did. And uh, and this time, we have another offshoot beer. This one is a recent release from Offshoot called Bravo. Yes, and for those who are saying to themselves right now, why are you doing another hazy IPA? Well, due to a little scheduling conflict, um, we are recording this show remotely. I'm in the Santa Monica office. Kyle, I believe you are at home. I'm in, no, I'm in the, in, in the Orange County office, if you would, yeah. This happens to be the only beer that we had a can of in both places, so <laughs> it wins. The, the funny part though about this is that i'm i don't know if we've talked about this but i'm kind of your your offshoot beer mule if you would so i go in and i i go into the uh placentia based brewery and uh go into their fulfillment center i pick up the four packs for you and then i bring them in and uh, i guess to thank me for my time uh you are kind enough to let me have one of these cans so that's that's what i've got today that's yeah that's the deal we've got going on you pick them up you keep one from the four pack (laughs) it's a pretty good deal honestly so I do, I, I don't know if you can see on on the video, I've got literal proper glassware for this. Now that I'm I'm sort of in the uh in the remote office, I've got an untapped branded pint here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna lovingly pour this entire can out into this pint glass. I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little uh grungier and just go straight from the can on this one. Okay. Um so Bravo, it is uh this was I believe released last month from offshoot. It is in a double IPA, uh 8.2% ABV. And uh it is a hazy double IPA featuring hundred percent Nelson hops and it is brewed with golden promise, churro, wheat, oats, and fermented with London three. So I do like I will say on the IPA spectrum, I love a pale ale or an IPA with oats in it. I, I feel like it really kind of rounds out the flavor from a, a, a theoretical perspective. Um, I also really like single hopped beers. So if you're going to, I mean, you can't really hide behind any, any flavors or any blends of hops in that way. They are just, you know, the only flavors from those hops that you're going to get. 
Yeah, that's true. And I think we've talked in the past about uh, single hop beers in the interesting ways of like trying to make them really shine with that specific hop. So that's always fun to see how people handle that. I mean, it's it smells so, so, so good. Kind of sweet, kind of um, maybe it's citrus or it's it's like pineapple. Lots of pineapple, I think. Definitely definitely a lot of citrus in there you get a you definitely get the citrus on the taste one of the things i noticed while pouring it too is that uh this is probably one of the most fresh offshoot beers that we've ever had this this is i guess the the most latest release that they've had and they've got a new one coming up very soon here that is going to be part of a series uh called charlie actually that was released as of today right so the previous one was actually alpha which we also have because i have to buy them all yes fanboy alert the um the the head on this is is really sudsy i don't know maybe it was it was my glass but it's kind of um it's a little over overly sudsy isn't dying down as much as i would expect a um a hazy IPA to die down, one that that is, you know, real sweet. Yeah, I can see that. It's keeping that thick head on there. Fo- it's very foamy. It, really thick, almost um, it, it, a little bit. The, the bubbles are a little large for my liking. The the taste, though, is so like pillowy and um, thin in a in the right kind of way for a double IPA where you like the oats almost flatten it out a bit. It, it, it isn't uh, like effervescent or bubbly in, in any way. It is very uh, flat's not really the right word, but it's kind of just smooth and easy drinking. The carbonation isn't overwhelming. It's not like super bubbly. It's very smooth over the tongue. It's got a little bit of that like um, kind of citrus fruit. I don't want to say sour, but you know, like that, that kind of citrus fruit tartness that you get. We get a little bit of that up front. Like in the back of the tongue? Yeah. Yeah, and it lingers uh, like like lemon rind a little bit. Is that what that is? Because I definitely have the lingering going on. The bitterness is definitely also very bearable. It's not, um, it's smooth and not like overly, overly hopped. Granted, it is only one hop, so yeah. um, it's not like just a giant hop bomb in your mouth. Well, this is one of these two that um, they are shipping out to their new DC location and they're making available uh, for delivery in California. So it's kind of cool to see sort of the evolution of offshoot beers from the brewery um, over the last year or so and and how they're they're trying to uh, get better distribution for it and um, give folks previews even in their tap room. I, I got a notification saying that they just added it to their their uh, menu over at the uh, the brewery tap room. So it's cool. Cool to see that they're um, doing more and more of this this style. And I think this is one of the only ones where they've kind of tripled up the style. Um, and the branding and everything where they've got, you know, the alpha and the Bravo and the, the very the simplistic hands that don't even actually say the, uh, say the name of what it is. Yeah. yeah. You have to actually look at the very bottom, um, underneath. I wouldn't, I don't recommend <laughs> flipping it over uh, right now, th- but there it is. Okay. Yeah. But it, it says That's Bravo. Cool. Nice. I was wondering how you could tell the difference other than the can color. I, one of the cool things I think that brewers do when they can this stuff on their own is they'll put you know, cool messages. It's like the Snapple bottles, right? Where you see oh, on the you, bottom. Yeah. Yeah. You open it up and then you got a, a silly message on the cap. This is, you know, uh, at the bottom of it, they'll either put the name or they'll put uh, the date that it was canned or they'll put, you know, a, a silly message in there. I think it's a, it's a creative use of the medium of canning to, uh, to impart some uh, personality to, to their beers. And you know, an interesting thing, when I saw that this line was coming out, um, 
I think one thing that also has set um, a lot of the offshoot releases apart in my mind is the completely different packaging for all the different series that they've done, the collaboration or the series. They always have really vibrant or really illustrative um, like can art. And Mm -hmm. the new series that they're going through right now is literally just like a black can with a colored ring and their logo on it. Right. It looks like a it looks like a crawler to me. You know, you take the double IPA part off and you basically totally. have like the, the most generic branding that you would expect on, say, like a crawler. So that's a that's kind of surprising for this new release. But I mean, it's not necessarily the can that matters right now. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> I think we, we do need to have an episode where we're just talking about can art and, you know, featured featured artists on cans and stuff. I think Offshoot's done a good job of featuring different artists and styles on their cans to try and tie in, you know, both like uh holidays and uh stylistic changes of the beer and stuff even having things paired and having the designer do both of those is really cool i I like that they they have done uh that in the past but again like this is a departure from that and a surprising one at that i i don't know if this is going to be par for the course on future releases but it's kind of cool just watching what they do from afar. And I know I'm, I'm walking into their distribution room uh, a couple times a month here. Uh, <laughs> That's my bad. But, I'm sorry. But <laughs> it's mutually beneficial, okay? Yeah, yeah. No, it's good. It's It'll be fine. It's great. Have any of you had this one? Let us know what you thought on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram by tagging us at Untapped. Right, now it's time to look at some of the more recent updates to the untapped app. We hit a pretty big milestone here. I know I hit two years. Uh, we're not that, that far on the version three of untapped, but we are at version 3.3. And this release is going to go out Monday. So if you haven't updated yet, be sure to go to the app store and update today. Uh, version 3.3 includes some new things, uh, namely things around lists. So if you've been searching for a beer before and you've wondered, hey, is this on one of my lists? Do I have this at home? Is it in my cellar? Uh, is this on my wish list? Should I you know, prioritize one of these beers over another? Now in search results, you'll see a little icon on the far right hand side that indicates whether or not a beer is on a list. If you then tap into one of those beers and scroll down, you'll see a list of lists that that beer is on. So like uh, an example for me would be uh, this beer that we're having today, Bravo. I could search for it on Untapped. I would see that there's a little icon saying it's in my cellar and it's also on my wish list. And I could then tap into the beer, scroll down and see both of those listed out on that page. It's definitely very handy for making sure that you're not double adding or that you you have the right things on a list already. And you can also add beers to a list from search results as well. That's something that we included a while back, but it's kind of it's tying everything back together with lists and um, trying to make lists and search results for beer more tied together. Another recent update uh, includes some major changes to the way that we share to Facebook. So. This is a change on Facebook's side for their sharing protocols for apps that are authorized to share on Facebook. So this would include um, other applications like Yelp or uh, Foursquare, or if you tie um, other applications like Twitter to Facebook, applications are now forced to create new posts 
on your behalf coming up here on August 1st. So by upgrading to this version and when you check into a beer, tapping the Facebook sharing button on a check-in is going to prompt you to then share a unique post to your Facebook wall. Is it still called a wall? I think it's a feed now. I think they did away with wall a while ago. <laughs> you mean I can't poke you on Facebook anymore? I, I actually you think can't, that's they, still in poking, there. Poking came back. It's the yeah. news feed, but... Uh, is it poking or waving? I don't know. Either way, uh, this is a change that was made on Facebook side where we are no longer able to automatically share check-ins and badges on your behalf. So we've had to add buttons to both the check-in process and to each of the badge cards that you earn. If you'd still like to share those things, be sure to activate the Facebook button on your check-in and we'll prompt you afterwards. And then also be sure to tap each of the Facebook sharing buttons on the badges that you earn in order to share those to your Facebook timeline. All right, rounding out some of the more major updates, I have a whole bunch of other improvements to talk about real briefly. Um, we've got a link to view recent beer merges for uh, folks who are curious about why unique counts for their beers may be going down. You can go into your beer page and tap the more button on the top right-hand corner and click on recent beer merges and you'll see beers that have been merged into a parent beer or deleted in the last 120 days. So that should answer some questions about uh, why unique beers are, are maybe reducing or why vintages aren't being included for certain beers. Questions can be answered there. We've also added the ability to hide beer ratings in search results. So this is for spoiler-free uh, beer search results for folks who did not want to know what the global average rating was for certain beers and didn't want that to impact their check-ins. So you can go into settings and advanced to be able to hide the beer ratings from your search results if you really, really, really want to go in blind. Don't be influenced by your friends there or the That's right. global community, I guess you would say. Yep. We've also added a minor change to sharing your badges after you've earned them. So if you're looking at an old badge that you earned, maybe uh, your first badge on untapped or a specialty badge, um, when you go to share that badge from the badge detail page, we'll now generate a new post with the actual badge URL instead of just the badge image. So that should improve the experience there. And then we've got a couple of fixes, uh, namely for folks who have upgraded to the public beta version of iOS 12. We, we hear you. We understand that the app was broken. Hopefully, version 3.3 fixes this for you. We've had a lot of folks on the iOS 12 beta on our beta to verify that this works. So if you are on the public beta and you have not upgraded to 3.3, be sure to today. It should work with your brand new shiny version of iOS 12. That rounds out version 3.3. Be sure to update today. And if you have any questions or concerns, about this update or you've got feedback for us be sure to go to help.untapped.com we would love to hear your feedback all right now it's time to look at some sponsored badges what have we got the first badge we have up here is off center your summer this is from our friends at dogfish head you can unlock this badge by checking into any one eligible dogfish head beer listed on our blog between july 1st and september 4th each check into one of these beers will actually unlock a new level, and you can level this badge up to three. So you have three to unlock. Um, the beers include 60 Minute IPA, Sequential, uh, Flesh and Blood IPA, Namaste White, 90 Minute IPA, Lupa Luau IPA, and Liquid Truth Serum IPA. 
The next badge up we have is Belgian Beer Month 2018. Check into any beer from the list of specified Belgian breweries on our blog, which is at blog.untappedit.com, between June 28th and July 28th, and you'll unlock this one. Um, if you listened to last week's show, we had a beer from a brewery Vuhage. Um, that was actually, that one's on the list, so... Unfortunately, this badge is coming out a little late for us to qualify there. Oh, man. But it's definitely making me excited to try. Between last week and this badge, I'm excited to try some more authentic Belgian beers. That's for sure. Yeah, me too. The last sponsor badge we have up for you is Double Trouble Returns from Founders. Uh, check in to a Founders Brewing Company Double Trouble during the month of July. This is their Imperial IPA brewed with Simcoe hops, which are citrusy and buttery at the same time. And it has a pungent aromatics up front paired with a malt balanced backbone and a smooth bitter finish. I don't know if you've seen the label for this one, but it is that thing that kind of looks like depending on which side you which way you look at it, it's either like an old woman or an old man. Ah. If you look at it one way, it's like an old man with a mustache, but if you flip it the other way, <laughs> it is completely different. Oh yeah. Oh, that's cool. I don't like that though. With the head ooh. It's a little freaky, right? Yeah, it's very, very cool, though. I guess the well, it, when it's sitting on the uh, when it's sitting on the table, you see one thing. When you lift it up to pour the rest of it into your mouth, you see a completely different thing. Right. That's pretty cool. I wonder if that is um, that has to do with sort of the nature of the flavor that you've got in there, kind of citrusy and buttery, sort of split down the middle, and it can be both at the same time as you know, uniquely one or the other. As with all badge releases, you can see the latest as well as all the details over at blog.untap.com. I like watching you contort yourself in the video to see the label upside down. This is great. I'm looking at it now. Our friend John Holzer from the Four Brewers Podcast is back with some more great homebrewing tips and tricks for you. Here's John with more. Hey everyone, John here from Four Brewers and I'm back with today's homebrew tip. And today we're going to talk about two things that I've done to either ruin a batch of beer or ruin a brew day. The first thing is something called boil over. Now boil over is something that happens when you're bringing your wort up to a full boil at 212 degrees Fahrenheit and proteins come out of the wort and something called hot break happens. Now usually if you control the flame and the temperature of the wort as you're bringing it up to a boil, you can minimize this hot break and this, this foam and you can stop a boil over from even happening. But if you're not paying attention you might have a boil over. So something I use is called FirmCap S. It's a silicone-based product that you can put in your wort before you bring it up to a boil. What this does is it breaks the surface tension of the liquid on the top of the kettle, and it doesn't allow that foam to basically stick together and bond. It breaks it up and allows it to go back into solution. It's really easy to use. Typically for a 10-gallon batch like I brew, I think I put 20 drops in, and it comes in this little tiny uh, vial that it's, I think you can do 50 batches of beer with it but it's it's like it looks like milk in a bottle basically but it's very tiny like the bottle's like two inches tall now this stuff is great you can use it in the boil and you can use it in the fermenter after the boil the cool thing about using it in the fermenter is you can use it to basically limit the amount of croissant that builds up on the top of your beer as it's fermenting which is awesome because you don't need a blow-off tube which leads me to my second tip if you've never used a blow-off tube basically what it is you replace the airlock at the top of your fermenter with a tube. And that way, if you have any blow off from the fermenting beer, which you can avoid by using FirmCap S, it will come out of the tube 
and into another vessel, which is usually like I use a growler that has water in it. The croissant will make its way through the tube into the water and everything's still clean and safe. It's like uh, an elaborate airlock basically. And they work great. The problem is when you go to crash your beer. So like I talked about last week, I have a fermentation freezer that I use. And when I'm done fermenting my beer, I'll set the temperature to around 35 degrees Fahrenheit. This will basically pull everything out of solution as much as possible. I let it sit there for a few days and everything gathers at the bottom of the fermenter nice and clean. I can then rack the beer off of the fermenter into another vessel or into a bottling bucket or whatever I wanna do. The thing is, if you're using a blow off tube, that tube is going from the top of your fermenter into basically a vessel with liquid in it, which is usually water or some kind of alcohol like vodka or something, so it's sanitary. If you use a plastic carboy, basically a sparklets water bottle type carboy, the one thing you have to remember is when you start to cool that thing down, the pressure inside of that carboy is gonna become negative pressure, so it's gonna contract, and then it's gonna siphon that liquid in the blow off back on top of the beer. You'll have that liquid sitting on top of your beer if it's water and then your beer is basically trash. So those are my two blunders and my two tips. Thanks for hanging out and we'll see you next time. And if you haven't checked out John's uh, Instagram TV videos, they are very cool. He He's known, I, I've known him for quite a while and uh, he loves to jump on kind of trying out the latest and greatest things. Yeah. And so I'm not surprised that the day after Instagram TV was released, he was putting his four <laughs> brewers clips up there. It did not shock me in the least. And they look yeah. really good. Although I did like um, the first one that he did. He was like, uh, I'm so used to shooting in landscape that having yeah. my SLR propped up at a 90 degree angle is super weird. Yeah, I was watching some reaction videos of vloggers going around with the sideways video uh, on the tripod. And most people being like, oh, hey, he's shooting a vlog. What? And it like hit them in a weird kind of like when you see a license plate and the uh, registration sticker and the month are flipped and you know something's not right, but it takes a little while for you to register that, oh, hey, that that doesn't look right. That There's something wrong going on there. Th- having the sideways camera definitely seems like that's odd. I guess the point yeah. is that DSLR is not balanced very well and your arm's going to get real tired. <laughs> this is true. Uh, You can catch more from John and the whole Four Brewers crew over at fourbrewers.com or subscribe to their show wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to show off your love of untapped? Drink out of a pint glass like I am right now? Check out our online store and pick up untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. Go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code podcast at checkout to get 20% off all orders. That's store.untapped.com coupon code podcast to get 20% off. Let's move on to our style of the week segment and take a look at this week's featured beer style. Here's Tim with more. This week, we're going to be looking at the German alt beer. This is actually German for old beer, and it is a style of beer that has been brewed historically in the region of Westphalia and around the city of Dusseldorf in Germany. Hmm. It's almost like the beer said, uh, alt be here, here a while. Alt beer here a while. Anyway. It's a, it's a little bit of a stretch, but I can see yeah. where you're going with that. <laughs> you gave uh, me so 15 minutes to, to come up with that, and I, I couldn't do any you better. St- you still butchered it. I gave you all the time in the world. You still couldn't do it. 
<laughs> I thought you were quicker than this, Kyle. I'm, I'm not. I'm really not. During the Middle Ages throughout Europe, um, brewing was done in private households and by monasteries. As you would expect, the monks, kind of in particular, took a very analytical approach to brewing, refining recipes and trying out many different things and kind of like a scientific-y sort of method because... In the Middle Ages, I believe that monks were more of like the kind of the educated, more philosophical class of people. Um, and eventually, after, you know, much testing and figuring out what to do with this whole beer thing, um, it, it became universally agreed upon that malted barley, bittered with hops, made the best beers. I mean, we all know that. Hey, I'll, I, I can agree with them on that. It's also, I assume during that time, they were probably trying to find some medicinal uses rather than just strictly recreational, whether it was like, you know, we can use this to uh, sanitize water or, you know, it's not just a fun beverage on weekends for us monks. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's pretty, it's a fun fact, but also I feel like at this point pretty well known that beer was probably enjoyed more than water during the Middle Ages because it was purified. Mm-hmm. Um, despite constantly improving the brewing process, uh, subpar beer was still very common, which I, would make sense because you don't have the greatest of facilities. Everybody's kind of trying something different. Your ingredients might be hit or miss. Always something that can go wrong. And if this is the Middle Ages, this is definitely like you're getting mostly warm fermentation. <laughs> yes, exactly. In 1516, the now famous Purity Law, which is also known as the Reinheitsgebot was decreed in Bavaria as an attempt to fend off poor quality beer, which basically limited the ingredients of beer to water, barley, and hops. And that was it. Interestingly enough, though, um, brewers of the Rhineland, which is a region of Western Germany along the Rhine River, um, they weren't bound by this decree. Even though it almost shares a namesake here. Very, very phonetically similar. Yeah, that's true. Because they didn't have to follow the purity law, uh, it doesn't mean that they're beer was of any lower quality it just means that the brewers could assert a bit of individuality due to the independence that it allowed for them hmm. and then also the cooler climate of the rhineland allowed brewers to brew throughout the year which uh was actually not allowed in bavaria what were some of the things that they were doing do you know of uh, to kind of differentiate themselves the two factors that i kind of mentioned contributed to an entirely new brewing culture in the northwest of Germany that just didn't have to follow those specific rules, allowed them to kind of play and do different things. In terms of like what specific things they did, I don't necessarily have that, you know, immediately, but um, it did allow them to differ from the rest of the whole Bavarian brewing culture and um, try different things, which is obviously where some more styles ended up coming from. Right. And they're, I mean, they're doing it kind of throughout the entire year as well. So that kind of, that allows them to try out stuff, you know, when, when other brewers are not and probably pull, if you would, uh, you know, um, what, what, what would those be considered? Like middle ages customers, I guess, from, <laughs> from other regions, <laughs> middle age customer competition. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 They're, they're coming in and, uh, and trying beers from that region now. Yeah. Um, as we've discussed in past episodes, in the 19th century during that industrial revolution, you know, there were many new technological advancements um, in the whole brewing industry. Um, one of those was kind of the discovery of being able to kiln malts in a lighter way. So you got those lighter malts, which led to the whole pale ale revolution. Um, and then also the use of um, bottom fermenting lager yeast started to become popular. 
In Bavaria itself, old-style dark beers like Munich Dunkels and Bucks were not abandoned but refined with better malt and the whole lager fermentation technology. Um, but trying to remain different in the Northwest, um, the brewers in Dusseldorf, which is part of that um, Rhineland region, uh, they adopted the malting technology using the pale malts, but they kind of said no to the lager yeasts, um, thinking them unnecessary. Um, and they really stuck to their whole top fermenting traditional ways. So as kind of can be discerned by that, um, the name alt beer comes from being top fermented as the older method than the bottom fermentation of more recent lagers. So the idea is alt beer or old beer using the older method of fermentation. But with sort of the newer ingredients from from that region yes. that became popular so, during the, the Industrial Revolution. Yeah, so instead of being the traditional, like, darker beers before the idea of kind of like the lightly kiln malts uh, came about, um, now you have those those lighter malts, the kind of the pale malts, um, but keeping that top fermenting. That's that's really interesting, and, and it's not really a style you see much of outside of, of that area, I guess. Yeah, this is true. Um, alt beer is the dominant beer variety in the Lower Rhine region. Um, and especially in towns like Dusseldorf. Uh, the first producer to use the name Alt uh, to contrast its top fermenting beer with the bottom fermenting beer uh, was actually a brewery called Schumacher, which was in Dusseldorf. And uh, it, they opened in 1838. So you can see, again, that very old tradition of European beers. Mm -hmm. An interesting fact that I learned along this uh, whole research here was that some Alt beer breweries actually have a tradition of producing a stronger version, which is the Stiku Alt. Uh, coming from the local dialect word meaning secret. Um, originally, a special reserve beer that was intended for the brewer's own consumption is generally a seasonal or special occasion beer that is stronger in taste and alcohol, um, as well as darker than the brewery's standard output. It's like a meal, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's the whole, like, uh, we're just going to kind of take this this batch and we're going to do something a little different, and we're just going to hold on to that one so that we can have it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that a lot of uh, a lot of beers have grown uh, new styles too have grown out of that desire like yes, I've been making alt beers forever and now I'd really like something a little stronger. Well, it's kind of it's also similar to like um, the saison which was um you know the season beer for like the summer seasons, the summer mm -hmm. like workers to partake in and then it ended up gaining popularity and actually becoming something that was a year-round sort of staple for most breweries. Right, right. As you can imagine, the next step in the history here is that the brew that this beer was produced up until the Second World War, and then it had a bit of a hiatus until its revival in 1983, which obviously coincides again with the whole craft beer revolution um, that picked up. Versions of the alt beer are brewed in the United States, though they don't always keep two traditional recipes. As you do, I mean, uh, <laughs> brewers here in the United States are not uh, bound by the same rules. Again. The especially, I mean, the the Rhineland. Yes, they're like doing their own thing up there, but the United States is is pretty well known for kind of bucking the the rules of beer and kicking it up a notch, if you will. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you're looking for the high ABV version of an alt beer, you're gonna probably find it also in the United States. This is very true. Um, I checking my history as we team seem to be doing recently. I have a uh, four alt beers uh, logged here. Um, one of which was actually from the Sierra Nevada beer camp called Alt Root, which I thought was very interesting. I also have one from Hangar 24, which is out in Redlands, California, their Alt Beer Ale. I have had Sierra Nevada's Alt Root as well. 
I think we may have. We had. I think we had that one in the office. Yeah. This is a really good uh, pun. If we're looking for good beer puns, Ballast Point back in 2014 had an alt hands on deck beer. (laughs) Nice. God, I love a good beer name pun. And my most recent alt beer is going to be uh, Onuma Alt by Brewhouse Onuma. Was that from your trip uh, to Japan? It was. I actually had this uh, while on the uh, Shinkansen Hakodate, uh, where I w- was able to take whatever beer I wanted from local stores onto the train and and enjoy that uh, from Hokkaido. Oh, that's super nice. Yeah, really, really good beer. BYOB train. Yeah, we. One interesting thing that I did learn is um, while putting this together, I was thinking how we could tie the style into our recently released core badges. Thinking the um, Old is new badge, which was for um, old ale, kind of tied in because alt beer is old beer. But interestingly enough, it's completely different. Um, alt beer being the German for old beer because of using the older method of top fermenting, and old ale is actually kind of like the um, British uh, equivalent of this. So they are two completely different styles. And unfortunately, my whole attempt to tie things together fell apart. <laughs> but I did find that very interesting to learn. So for a future episode, we'll have to take a look at old uh, old ales. Yeah, yeah. We went over our list of old ales that we've had before. Um, I've got something from Three Magnets in my fridge. I was we were sharing our uh, our cellar lists earlier today, trying to find a beer to uh, to share on this episode. And I've got something called a Keeping Ale, which is listed as an old ale. So I'm interested to try that one. See what that tastes like. Let's look at some of the interesting beer articles that we found this week. The first article we have up here is from the Wall Street Journal, and this one actually ties into an article we covered last week uh, talking about Russia running out of beer during the World Cup. This one is entitled Disaster Looms for British Pubs, Beer Shortage During the World Cup. Ah, boy. I could see this coming, though. I mean, (sighs) you saying that you were at a pub at uh, 8 a.m., I mean, even as early as 5 a.m. to probably watch some of these. That's a lot of beer. That is beer throughout the entire day. Oh, for sure. You know, you, you get started. I mean, for us, they start at 5 a.m. out here um, on the West Coast um, in Pacific time. And uh, even though that is actually before serving time for many pubs, um, as soon as that clock strikes, what, I think like 6 o'clock is when you can start mm-hmm. serving again. You know people are going to be ordering. I went out several times in the past couple of weeks, 8 a.m., Order me a breakfast beer. Good to go. Yep. Yep. So this article discusses basically um, lager drinkers wring their hands, but cask ale aficionados hope a carbon dioxide scarcity will drive orders for old school brews served at room temperature. So basically, unlike um, unlike with the literal shortage of supply of beer in Russia, this is a shortage of carbon dioxide, which is the gas that puts the magic fizz in beer. Yeah, well, it allows it to be on tap. We talked about a couple of uh, different, you know, gravity-drawn beers and things like that also in our question and answer section last time. And <laughs> to not have any CO2, uh, that's rough. I mean, that also means no, uh, what, what do they call it over there? Fizzy fizzy drink. No Fizzy uh, drinks, yep. Mm-hmm. That's uh, They cover that in this article. Basically, um, ammonia plants have shut down across Europe, uh, many for routine maintenance, and Britain only has one operating CO2 plant. Um, they've been hit the hardest by this whole thing. Wow. Yeah, the supply chain hiccup represents tragedy or 
opportunity depending on where the pub patrons stand and the decades long battle of uh fizzy drinks versus the traditional cask ale yeah a uh, long long standing uh issue if you would i guess for for british pubs yeah i i love how this article basically it's not just necessarily saying like oh no there's a shortage of co2 it's actually a debate between you know the standard beers at a pub and cask ales hopefully coming in to save the day yeah um, it, it goes on to say that seasoned drinkers of Cascale, the peculiarly British naturally carbonated beer that's often drank at room temperature, um, hope fans of the artificially carbonated lager will discover what they quote unquote proper beer as Brits crowd pubs to celebrate the fortuitous collisions of a heat wave and the World Cup. That is a terrible combination, right? Well, I don't want to call it a terrible combination because, you know, it's like half good, half bad. But anyway. Yeah, well, watching the players, I mean, yes, they're in Russia, but watching them get exasperated on the field because it's like 50% humidity out there and and 80 degrees is a little rough as well. I can, I mean, sitting sitting here in my comfy air-conditioned house, I'm thinking, man, I could go for a lager. (laughs) Now imagine packed into, and you know, you know, these pubs are going to be packed when games are on. Like imagine the, uh, imagine the body heat building up in there. Absolutely. Well, the other part is like a lot of these teams, a lot of these national teams do have both like Premier League players, Bundesliga players, uh, Brazilian League players, all of these leagues where these players are popular and in a country, in an area where this is the game, like this is their national pastime. It's hugely popular. Add to that the fact that England is leading their group right now. That's just going to add to the problem. Per what you were saying earlier, while supplies of all fizzy drinks, including sodas, could be hit hard by the CO2 shortage, it is the specter of beer shortages that have Britons in a froth. I love the way this article is written here. Yeah, Wall Street Journal, thanks. That's This is good. This is good fluffy language. Unbeerleavable, roared the Sun newspaper. A disaster of biblical proportions could be about to strike. World Cup fans screamed the Metro. They're looking for clicks. They, I mean, I guess they oh, would yeah. be, what, a newspaper? But, yeah, they're still looking for clicks. Oh, totally. And then um, it just kind of wraps up, you know, with the idea, like, high temperatures and World Cup group stages. Uh, they were predicted earlier this month to generate an extra 14 million pints at the pub, according to the British Beer and Pub Association. Yeah. I mean, that's when, when you're... Uh when your national pastime, when the, your sport of choice is mixed so well with the uh, pub culture and uh, and you rooting for your country or your team of choice. Yeah, this, I, I can see how this would be a huge blow to that. Our next article comes from the DailyBeast.com. Beer can supremacy. Are beer bottles an endangered species? I think it's safe to say that for us, definitely. I feel like they are these days. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm picking up like... Four packs of everything. Um, all of these limited releases are all pretty much in four packs. I think the only bottles I pick up these days from, uh, you know, like uh, rare beers would be a, a rare barrel is one. Yes, they they definitely still do uh, bottle their beers. But Bottle Logic, I think, was the last one I actually picked up that was a, a bottled, a specifically bottled beer and vintage beer. There was one, uh, the brewery. We were talking about the brewery earlier. I saw on their Instagram today that they've canned their uh, brewsicle, which is a sour blonde ale, I believe, brewed with lactose. And that is now canned. A brewery beer, not offshoot, not an IPA. A brewery beer is canned. Please get that. 
Next time you go there, you need to find this. Yes, it sounds, first of all, it sounds incredible. They've run a lot of different versions with different purees, mango and uh, raspberries and things like that. But a canned beer from the brewery proper is something that I don't think I've ever seen before and is 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 so cool. No, and I thought that was part of the reason for like spinning, part of the reason for spinning off Offshoot, not just for like the hazy and the bitter IPAs, but also to kind of focus on cans. Right. Uh, uh, it's pretty mind-blowing. It's pretty much all you see these days at sea. Yep. So the rise in popularity of beer cans is now being driven by craft brewers, as we basically just discussed. Um, 15 years ago, craft beer and cans seemed like a novelty, but with more active lifestyles and a desire to bring along your favorite brews, things obviously have shifted. A case of bottles actually weighs just under 33 pounds, while a case of cans weighs about 19 pounds. So if you think about it, you're going camping, going on a trip, what what are you going to want to take with you? You're going to have to pack that in. Well, I'm going to bring a tent, first of all, so I'll probably, yeah, I mean, that's, that's going back there. Uh, a cooler. Uh, I'll probably bring some... Uh, you know, knowing me, it'll be a baguette and maybe a, a stinky cheese. Um, but you're you're, t- you're talking about camper, beer, like w- the vessel for beer. Yes. Yeah, yeah, cans. I'm going cans, Tim. Of course. What else are you going to do? You're not going to hike out. You're not going to go on a camping trip with bottles. I mean, with bombers. Obviously, yeah, exactly. That just seems like madness. Yeah, I think <laughs> when you're talking about the weight of these two, uh, it's probably 19 and 33 pounds, respectively, uh, for filled vessels. Because you've got aluminum cans, obviously, and those are really, really light. If you've ever watched or followed a brewery on Instagram and they have videos of entire sheets and pallets of cans falling over, it it kind of, and they're so neatly organized, it hurts your soul to, to watch all <laughs> yes. of those fall. Yeah. But thankfully, you know, the, the empty ones, that's not going to hurt anybody. It's not like a pallet full of uh, of glass bottles falling on someone. Um, other than a few early exceptions that didn't catch on, the first successful canned craft beer uh, that we mostly know about is Dale's Pale Ale from Oscar Blues, um, which is from Longmont, Colorado. And it came out in 2002. Um, if I think back, other than the standard macro, that's probably the first one I remember ever seeing in a can. And to be honest, at the time, seeing it in a can actually kind of gave it a slight negative connotation. Oh, Yeah. You're looking at it, and the only other thing that was available in that serving style was the stuff that you were trying to avoid as a craft beer drinker. Yeah, there was something about the, like, I can't see it. I can't, it's not in a brown bottle. Uh, even, you know, green bottles kind of have that same stigma where you're like, I don't want that. That's not craft. The same same sort of thing happening. Yeah, yeah, it, it was definitely a stigma, I think, for a long time. According to um, Bart Wilson, who's the chief economist for the Colorado-based Brewers Association, he says, my current estimate is that 43% of craft brewers are canning. That is such an incredible number right now. Yeah, he he added that up to a quarter of all production by craft brewers goes into cans now. And you, I mean, you can see this happening in the grocery stores as well. In the craft beer section of, say, like a Whole Foods or a whatever, Kroger's, whatever you've got near you, Piggly Wiggly. You'll see that the craft beer section, at least near me, is now almost 50-50 of cans and bottles. Yeah, that's for sure. I was just trying to visualize like my local supermarket, you know, chain supermarket that doesn't have exactly the the best selection. I'm I'm visualizing that beer shelf and I think you're about right. Like 50-50 seems good. Even at like a Total Wine, right, where they've got lots of individual vessels, <laughs> individual cans and bottles for these things. Yep. It's not just the four packs that are relegated to the cans. 
you'll go down that individual aisle and it'll be mostly cans at this point. Uh, yep. There will be some bottles, but it's it's very rare. And you'll see also some of these big brands doing both cans and bottles to try and, I, I guess, like market test or uh, to try and see, you know, based on price and volume of of the cans and the amount of volume they're selling through, which is going to work better in that particular store. Yeah. And I mean, with 43% of craft brewers canning, um, I think it's safe to say that cans are winning the battle. And I mean, that's even with this new 10% tariff that's being placed on imported aluminum by the oh government. Boy. Yeah. But um, Oscar Blues Brewery did project that the tariffs will add 20 to 24 cents um, to each case or about a half a million dollars annually. And they say, you know, while this might hurt, drinkers are willing to pay that cost for the convenience of having the can. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you eat the CRV here in California most of the time. Most folks aren't taking their cans and bottles back to the uh, the recycling center to get that back. You're, you're eating more cost and, you know, craft beer world as well. You're paying 20 bucks for a four pack. So it's, <laughs> it doesn't matter true. too much. Um, and cans, obviously, like they're kind of known for uh, their lightweight and compact size. Um, it means that they're much easier to transport, which obviously with the whole like outdoor lifestyle or moving them around um, for a consumer, that's one thing. But also there's less fuel consumption and more beer per truckload, um, also with less breakage and lighter in their cycling leg of the journey. So that all means um, less energy and kind of a smaller carbon footprint for the transportation. So it obviously benefits on the, um, the, the uh, production side as well. Um, of course, cans offer other benefits, which is, uh, you know, the idea of um, light damage. So light hitting beer through bottles can cause damage. It can mess up the aromas or skunk the smell. Um, and when it's canned, obviously less light gets in there. Um, during the canning process, also less air gets in there. Um, so you're going to get less stale flavors. Uh, um, cans rarely break too. And if they do break, I mean, they get bent and they leak. They don't shatter into a million pieces. Like you were mentioning with the giant stack of cans falling over on the guy who forgot that the um, forklift was in reverse. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and the other part of this is uh, I was talking about picking up cans for you. If I'm visiting somewhere like Chicago or, uh, you know, Oregon or something, and I know that there are a bunch of craft breweries in the area, I'm more likely to pick up cans of things because I know when I check my bag, it's not going to explode uh, and shatter the same way that a can would. I can throw those cans into a Ziploc bag and they I feel so much more safe that that it'll be OK in there. You, you got to do it right, though. You got to you got to get the duct tape over the cap. You got to uh, um, Ziploc bag. There's an entire duct like, tape, uh... <laughs> Ziploc baggie, wrap it in bubble wrap. Now, cans do have some perceived negatives. Um, some people say that they make the beer taste metallic. Um, the author of this kind of notes that it only really happens if your lips touch the rim and there's like an exposed little metallic area. Like licking a battery. Yeah, exactly. But you don't get that inside of the can because they're usually lined with a thin coating of a pro of a proxy. I mean, epoxy. <laughs> it's approximately epoxy. Exactly. That's that's <laughs> it. That's what I was going for. Um, and then... Another argument is that that epoxy coating has BPA in it, and true, but BPA is mostly a problem for infants and not someone who, which obviously they're not going to be drinking beer, um, and, and it comes out. Right. Well, b b we should say BPA is bisphenol A. It is, uh, it's a requirement, I guess, that it be labeled in the state of California. Am I, am I yes. correct on that? Yes. I know when I, when we were getting stuff for, um, for my son early on, BPA free is the only way to go. Right. 
Um, but it does say, you know, like um, that the BPA really only has an issue if it gets hot, if you leave it in the sun, and if you're storing your craft beer properly, then that should not be a problem. Um, and then there's the other point of like, you know, making aluminum is more polluting than glass. And while to a degree it's true and it does use more energy, the aluminum is far more recyclable than glass and uses less energy as it goes on. Hmm. And then also... Basically, people are almost, I, I don't know where the stat came from, but this is just quoting from the article saying that people are almost twice as likely to recycle cans than bottles. Yeah, there's probably some psychology behind like, it's lighter. Uh, it's easier for me just to toss a can into a, a recycling container rather than, um, I don't know, maybe a bottle is seen like a, I, maybe I'll put this at the the bottom of my trash can to weigh it down or something. <laughs> seems no seems silly, but. I cannot confirm this stat. Yeah, we've also talked about uh, places that are taking bottles back, kind of like milk bottles, and refilling those same bottles after a uh, sterilization process. To Yeah, that's up, up in Oregon. Yeah, kind of like try and keep that uh, glass sustainability up at the same level that, that aluminum kind of is. I, I know you got to probably melt down aluminum. Between you and me, do you prefer one over the other? Does it depend on the style? Does Is there something about the volume? Which do you prefer outright? Uh, to be completely honest, I have no preference. I'd hate to say that. I feel like that's the cop-out answer, but I really don't. I just It just so happens that the beers that I end up liking, the things that have cool label art or the things that most of the places that I'm going to, they just they happen to be canning. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if I see something cool that's in a bottle, I'll get it. No problem. I don't, I don't have any sort of like negative towards that. It's just kind of like the trend is going that way and all the places that I want to pick up from are following that trend. So by default, I end up with more cans. How about you? Um, for me, I I like not just my beer in cans, but I like my uh, water in cans. I like my soda in cans. I don't like plastic bottles and I don't like glass bottles. Your cold brewing cans. So it's a, I think it's just an aluminum thing that that i'm into uh (laughs) i i like the i like the way it's not even just for um distributed beers i also like crawlers a lot more than glass growlers i think it is the experience of like knowing that it's basically a mini keg and that when i pop that top it's sort of like i'm displacing time and space and going back into the brewery and saying give me this beer (laughs) that's a very that's a very awesome look at it you're getting a little deep on that one. I know. Sorry, I'm 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 uh, I'm breaking the prime directive here by by saying that I like aluminum more than glass. Trends are saying that you are not incorrect. Our next article here comes from MentalFloss.com, and it is Dogfish Head's new beer packaging doubles as a cooler. This ties back into our off-centered summer badge, which kind of revolves around the whole idea of the off-centered summer pack and the beers that are. Um, part of that and this is i thought this was really great i love interesting and innovative packaging Mm -hmm. and this one was really cool um it's the coolest part of dogfish head's latest beer release isn't the beer itself it's the box basically the brewery's off-center summer pack is a variety of canned ales Um, they actually started canning more than their standard stuff and it comes in a new water resistant box that can be used as a cooler so the box is made with um wet strength paperboard Uh, which is a type of packaging engineered to withstand moisture. And it's designed to hold ice and water for six hours without ripping or collapsing. That this looks incredible. I mean, just the, uh, the hero shot here on mentalfloss.com is so, so, so cool. Yeah. The, the perforations on the cardboard allow you to basically rip the entire top off. 
Right. Um, and then you just, you, uh, you open up some flaps, which makes it a little taller and then you just add ice and you're, you're good to go. You've got an ice chest all set for it. <laughs> this, this sort of like gives new meaning to the fridge pack. You remember when they in- introduced the fridge pack for soda cans where it was like the long rectangle rather than the uh, sort of like kind of wide rectangle. And then they had a part where you top. could perforate and pull out and then the cans would like stack on each other and you could pull one out at a time. Yeah, I know. I get those for um, that's how we have our soda in our house. I love those things, except yeah. when you tear it wrong and then they all fly out at you. Yeah, yeah, but you don't see any sodas that aren't distributed this way anymore, unless they're like huge Costco packs, right? Yeah, so imagine, imagine a world where Dogfish Head uh, cooler packs are sort of the standard for uh, barbecue goers and things like that. I, I think this is really cool. They also say, you know, it's a clever design that takes something that would otherwise be trash or obviously recycling um, and puts it to good use. Granted, it's temporary, but at least it's getting more use out of the packaging than just going straight into the recycling. I think it's, it's again, with the whole idea of cans and being movable and wanting to take them to events and do things, you, you take this out, you grab a bag of ice and you're good to go. You got six hours of chill, chilled beer right there. Yeah, that's awesome. Our last article this week is from BeverageDaily.com. And it is craft brewing and business strategies. Small is the new big. Throw out the rule book when it comes to craft beer business. Bigger is not always better. And profit maximization is not always the ultimate goal. I feel like this is pretty solid to think about when it comes to craft beer. Um, While the aim for most businesses is to make money, for craft brewers, the goals are more complex. Yeah, I I, I really do think that craft beer is is all about the the craft beer drinker, right? It's about the people involved with it. Yeah, some of the interesting points is like, instead of thinking about how can we maximize the amount of money we're making, they're putting more thought into like, what about the happiness of the people who are making the beer? Or what about the experience of the customer? Or, you know, what about the place of the business in the community? And how are they giving back and benefiting that local area that's kind of like embracing them? How can they embrace this? It's it's how can the community and the consumer and the business all kind of come together? Benefit everybody. Exactly. If you're a large public company with shareholders, obviously like maximizing your profit and increasing the returns for your shareholders is the key. Um, But for craft brewers, there's this ability to transfer some of that wealth back to their employees, to improving their tasting room, and obviously back to their community in any sort of like charitable way or just events or ways to kind of get involved and better where they are. And it's it's for companies like this, too, that um, it's not always the profit margin that you're measuring. It's also, you know, you're trying to measure internally, you know, how happy are people? um, Are we impacting uh, our community in meaningful ways and also measurable ways that can also contribute back to uh, the overall success metric, if you would? Exactly. And that success metric not necessarily being like, how much money money do we make? Yeah, right. Um, it's completely different than how business has been traditionally taught and completely changes the meaning of success. Yeah, this this seems like a really interesting article. I'm going to have to go back and read this one uh, in depth. Yeah, I definitely would recommend it. Um, you know, it's basically like the craft beer movement has shown that being small may be much better suited for today's market. Uh, as I feel like we've been seeing with all aspects of, you know, consumption, consumers are shifting to local products and trying to support local, small and local businesses. Um, I don't think that's specific to the craft beer industry, 
um, but it's definitely a big piece of it. Um, and unlike many things at this point, consumers are really truly dictating how the market works because these small breweries, they, they don't have large distribution. They don't have the, you know, that they, they're not maximizing by getting it out there. They're relying on like the communities and their local consumers to really support everything. Yeah. And I think they're also relying on customers uh, at certain points to help point brewers in the right direction as well. They want to be responsive to not only your your flavor profile and kind of what you're craving and what the market is craving, but also like what you need as a community and ways that brewers can can kind of support that. And speaking of small breweries and businesses, um, you know, if, if you're listening to our podcast and you are a restaurant or a bar owner kind of looking for more information and resources to help you along your journey of opening and running your um, business, um, be sure to check out uh, the Restaurant Unstoppable podcast. Um, our VP of sales here at Untapped, Brandon Walker, he was actually featured on episode 470 um, discussing our Untapped for Business platform and what it means to become a verified venue here on Untapped. You can find a link to that episode in our show notes and check out the video over there. All right, now it's time to answer some of your questions about Untapped. If you've got any questions for us, be sure to send them over using the hashtag AskUntapped on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Uh, this week, we actually don't have any questions for you, but if there's anything that you've wanted to know about Untapped or beer in general, be sure to send them over using the hashtag AskUntapped on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We appreciate all of the questions that have been sent in so far, um, and we are, of course, adding them to our backlog of questions to be answered in the future, so be sure to send those over, again, using the hashtag AskUntapped. All right, show notes are available at podcast.untapped.com. And if you've got any questions for us, again, be sure to send us your feedback by connecting with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's at Untapped Everywhere. And please, if you have a moment, take a second to head over to Apple Podcasts, uh, search for our show, and give us a little bit of a rating. Maybe take an extra second there to write up a review. Um, all these ratings and reviews definitely help uh, others find our show as we rise in the rankings there. I don't know where we're ranked right now, but again, we got the running joke of we need to beat David Chang. <laughs> We've got Alton Brown on there. We're we're on the food podcast section, and there's a lot of really great beer podcasts on there right now. So uh, I, I recommend checking out literally all of them. They are probably I mean, we're in some really good company. So whether we're beating them or not in the rankings on on uh, Apple podcasts uh, is really up to you. But do it really. But but actually, yeah, we, we do really want to kind of beat everybody <laughs> we, else. We obviously we love hearing the feedback and knowing what you <laughs> you know how you're how you feel about the show and any input or feedback that you have so that we can continue to incorporate it and mold the show and make things better as we continue to go. Yeah, absolutely. And I also appreciate uh, all of the questions and feedback that we've received so far. Thank you, everybody. We'll be back again next week. So until then, cheers. cheers.